the unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this is a really special episode. I'm very, very excited. We're going to be bringing in Billy Price of the Cincinnati Bengals to do an interview. We talk about a lot of things, from grilling to football to what goes through his mind right before the ball snapped. A whole bunch of really cool stuff. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. And this is one of the benefits of being on the ZD Network. We know when I first signed on to them, they said, we're going to get you some pro athletes to appear on your show. And they've already made good on that promise. So hopefully we'll be having a lot more athletes in the episodes to come. This is a really good one with Billy Price, though. I'm looking forward to it. We're also going to talk about some current Bengal headlines. Tom McLevy is going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. Just the best page out there. Great music, great highlight reels, really cool stuff. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. So before we bring in Billy Price, let's review some Bengals headlines. Bengals headlines. Tell me you saw Joe Burrow throwing the ball to A.J. Green. How exciting was that? I know it's just a simple slant pass in a training camp session, but man, that represents so much. All of us could not wait for Burrow to get on the field. Thought it would never come. I thought this day would never come. And then a healthy A.J. Green, happy-looking spry, catching that slant pass. I could watch that play a thousand times. I've never been more excited about a training camp rep in my life. So the non-Bengal fan may be like, why are you guys getting so excited about a slant pass to A.J. Green in training camp? But us Bengal fans on the inside, we know we've just been waiting for this moment. We've been the doormat of the league for the last year. Everyone's been down on us. And we know that better days are coming. We all know as Bengal fans that we're a lot better than that 2-14 and record. And we're a lot better than the national narrative on this team. So just to have Burrow in there throwing some balls and A.J. out there. And from what Billy Price told me in the interview, he said, with a smile, everyone's healthy. So this is a good time for us. I don't care what other people think about us getting excited about some training camp reps. I'm excited. I cannot wait. So a couple other pieces of news. Um, let's just go over some of the players that they waived recently. They waived Dewa Whaley, Moritz Bowringer, and Isaiah Swan. Some of that news is a little bit older, but I want to just catch up with you guys on the transactions. And if you analyze those cuts, you can see that each one of those guys was pretty much at the bottom of the depth chart for each of those positions. Running back, tight end, corner. So it makes sense when they trim down from 90 to 80. Kind of the last man on the depth chart has to go. So they're, they're following protocol there. You know, we'll see what happens. I wish all those guys luck in their careers. And now we move on with the 80 that we do have. Okay, another big piece of news that's been circulating over the last day or two has been the Bengals' interest in Mike Daniels, defensive tackle from the Detroit Lions. Of course, he made his living with the Green Bay Packers for a bunch of years. So he went on IR at the end of 2018. He was having a pretty decent beginning of the year, and then he had a foot injury. And then he went to the Lions, and then he played three games, and then he injured the other foot. But then he did come back, and then he injured his arm, and then he went on IR again. So he's had a pretty good career overall, had a lot of sacks towards the middle of his career. The last couple years have been checkered by injury, so we don't really know what we're getting with him. But the thing is, he's there for depth. So when you get an older defensive lineman like that, you put him in a rotation like this, I think it's going to be a good fit. You know, we'll see if he can stay healthy. It's going to be great depth. We can't trust him to be a starter at this point just based on the last two years, but anything can happen. 
He has a good reputation in the NFL. He's proven that he can do it. So, you know, let's hope he stays healthy and fills in that rotation and makes us not really miss Tupo or Glasgow. One of the interesting things on his career was he has one interception and he got it off Carson Palmer, so that's just fine by me. And he also made the NFL Top 100 list in 2016 and 2017, so his peers do have a lot of respect for him. And everyone is saying that he is the best defensive tackle available, so that's what I like, this new aggressive approach, grabbing all these free agents. Hey, we we lost a couple defensive tackles. Well, you know what? We're going to get the best one available. So that's a step in the right direction. You know, thank you, Mr. Tobin. Thank you, Mr. Brown. This is the beginning of some new days. We have Burrow now. We're not messing around. You know, we're going to sign the players that we need. We're not going to let an injury jeopardize this season. I think we're on a good pace. I think we're going to have a good season. And upper management appears like they're not going to let anything get in the way of that. Okay, the last piece of news is something that we've talked about before, and it's a big conversation in this offseason, is re-signing Joe Mixon. Now, I've been on record as saying I want him back. I think he's a leader. I think he's a good player. I know that position is hard to have longevity at, but he's got a pretty good body for it, so I'm assuming that he's going to get a few more good years. Let's, you know, let's hope for that. And when I saw the price tag that he wanted, I, I saw somewhere between $8 million and $12 million. You know, I think $8 million is almost an insult to him, truthfully. I mean, if he's going to come in for that price, that would be great. But I was thinking this, and I'm not a capologist, so I'm just going to give you my theory on what I think we should do. I say get him for four years, $40 million. And, you know, they always guarantee a decent percentage of that. Maybe you guarantee like $28 million of it. Because here's the thing. You're not paying your quarterback big money for the next couple years. You get to use that on other positions. Now, you can't double down. You know, you can't pay a running back big now and then just say, well, every position that we need, we're going to be able to pay big because we, we're not paying our quarterback a lot. But I think they can afford to, quote, unquote, overpay for Mixon at this point. Like I said, he's a leader. He's going to be essential to Burrow's success. He's good out of the backfield. He can block. We all know he's a 1,000-yard back. So it's important to bring him back, even if we feel that we're slightly overpaying. Just get him back in. So that's my advice to the front office. Resign Joe Mixon. Give him $40 million. All right, so that's going to move us on to the segment we're all waiting for, the Billy Price interview. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Billy Price, offensive lineman, Cincinnati Bengals. Billy, how are you today? I'm doing well. Long day. Had a uh, football in the morning. Got home about 12.30, had another meeting at 2.30, got another one at 5. So it's been a busy day for me. Yeah, I hear you. I don't want to take up too much of your time because I want you to get ready for the season so you guys can kick some butt. Um, One of my favorite things to do during the quarantine was to go onto your Instagram story and check out the stuff that you were grilling. You had some nasty stuff on there. I mean, ribeyes, you were sauteing mushrooms in a cast iron skillet. Really made me jealous a lot of times. Um, (laughs) But for real, what's your favorite item to grill? personally probably the beef tenderloin just the beef tenderloin the cut itself is super tender and if you do it right i mean it just literally melts in your mouth um i actually did one right here right before the whole training camp started and then uh, because it was too big i gave a couple pieces to my neighbor so he's uh he's giving the fruits of my labor when it comes to some of the some of the things that we've cooked so it's been it's been good we've been eating well yeah you set the bar high man when i'm grilling i'm like would billy price approve so you know, that, that's the new standard. 
Oh, like, that's the standard? Yeah, I mean, Jeff Ruby ain't got nothing. All right, so let's get on to some football stuff. What was your training routine during quarantine? I mean, my wife and I and my dogs all were down in Dallas, Texas, training with uh, Duke Manningweather. And, uh, you know, everybody was talking about the hotspots down there in Texas with COVID. But, you know, what? Well, the show had to continue to go on down there. Um, Duke's had a setup during the beginning part of the quarantine where, you know, the gyms even down in Dallas, Texas were shut down. He had a setup in his, in his garage. Um, you know, we were able to do movements and different types of things to get us by, uh, before we were able to get back into the gym, but things worked very, very well. Uh, I was down there for three weeks when we were in, in his garage and it was, you know, a good situation because everything here in Ohio, um, you know, was shut down. So it had just been me in my garage or me in the basement, um, you know, doing what I could. So having that resource down there in Texas was just, it gave me an advantage that, you know, you had to take, take advantage of and spend the time down there. Uh, that's great that you were able to do that. Yeah, with everything closed, I was wondering how you guys were going to stay in shape. But I know that the dedicated players were not going to let that be a barrier. And obviously, you made the trip down to Texas to make that happen. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 14 right. hours one way. So trust me, my wife, uh, she is a she's a godsend. Um, you know, 13 hours one way. And we went to Texas three different times. So a pretty crazy amount of hours while we were driving. Yeah, that's some dedication. You get guys get to know each other a little bit better on that on those trips, I imagine. <laughs> hey, the marriage the marriage came out of quarantine a lot stronger than what it went into. It, so it's all good. It's rare. I was arguing with my girl like crazy. So you're you're a rare <laughs> rare exception there. All right, you know, let's get on to some of the early days of football for you. So I, I did some research. I, I saw that you were a dominant defensive lineman at Fitch High School. At what point did you decide to focus on offense? Uh, so that wasn't until my freshman year of Ohio State. Coach Vrabel, uh, Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans right now, um, he was a defensive line coach and very, very intense, intense coach. Um, it was probably third or fourth day of training camp on a double and uh, on a two-a-day, excuse me, and it was just a situation. I, I was getting my ass kicked, and I just looked at him. I looked at him, and I, I just I knew it wasn't, wasn't going to work out. So um, I had a meeting with Coach Meyer. And said, you know, I need to, I think I need to change positions. Otherwise, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, and Coach Meyer was like, all right, cool, done, boom. Switched me over the next day with the offensive line, and the rest has been history. Um, you know, I had a great, great center to uh, understudy under, which was Corey Lindsay, the guy who is the starter for the Green Bay Packers right now. And just a phenomenal, um, like-minded guy, very um, intellectual, you know. And his, he was actually from Youngstown, Ohio, where I'm from. So he went to the rival high school. Uh, Boardman. It's just, it was a really, really good situation, good culture in the offensive line room, and something that was, you know, a great foundation for me to grow. You know, you ended up making a, a good move, obviously, because you went on to start 55 games, first round draft picks. So it was good self awareness to say at that point, you know what, maybe defense isn't going to be my ticket, and switching to offense seemed to be the best move. And, and up to this point, it really has worked out. So when did you recognize at what point in your life going through high school, college, what was that moment where you said, Hey, you know what? I have a shot at making the NFL. For me, it didn't happen until later in college. Um, probably going into my, going into my junior year, um, just being dominant against some players. You know, I remember playing DeForest Buckner and um, Eric, Eric Armstead. Um, I, I was redshirt freshman in the national championship game when we played Oregon and it was you know, those are, those are some dominant defensive guys. And, you know, you, you hold your own and you do pretty well against some of them. And you're just like, wow, you know, I could do this. And, you know, and then you get around the coaches at Ohio State and, you know, spring balls are not – it's not a slouch time at Ohio State. It is full throttle, pedal to the middle, and you've got to get better and you have to develop. 
So going into my junior year, you know, I was playing right guard. I got transitioned from left guard to right guard. And it just, it just it felt natural. Um, and so you just continue to put the work in. And then you see the guys who have gone on before you and say, you know what, I want to chase that. I want to be that guy. I want to be a guy who goes, you know, first round pick, you know, have my name all over the Ohio State facilities and aspire, you know, the, the dreams that young boys have. I want to make sure I'm living it. Yeah, it was just, it, it was really, really cool. And again, if, if you've ever been to Ohio State facilities, there's constant reminders everywhere you go of the greatness and the excellence that's around you. Um, you know, Orlando Pace, Taylor Decker, you know, Charles Bentley, uh, Nick Mangold. I mean, some of the offensive line, Corey Stringer, some of these offensive line greats that have gone on before us, you know, they're all over the building. You know, each, each position group's got its own, you know, little section. Um, but, the, you know, the Lombardi winners, the Remington winners, the uh, Heisman Trophy winners, et cetera, they're all over the facilities. So it's just one of those situations that you're just constantly, you're, you're putting yourself in a great environment to strive to be the best. And that was something that, you know, really, really, it hit home my junior year for me. I can see being in an environment like that where you're surrounded by, by inspiration. It would inspire you to be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's move on now. So 2020 begins and you have Coach Taylor, Coach Callahan, and they say, all right, Billy, here's the playbook for 2020. And I know you're familiar with some of the stuff from years before, but what's the thought process? Like, how do you absorb and learn an entire NFL playbook? What's, what's your methodology? Um, for me is try to assimilate things you've known prior and replace that with the current term or the new knowledge, you know, just off of rip right now, just off the new stuff that we're doing right now. Um, after having, you know, this is going into my third season that after having that initial knowledge, um, because my rookie year, I really struggled with the playbook and understanding how the, you know, how some of these operations and why, you know, you know, linebackers respond to, the running back different under center versus in the gun, et cetera. And, you know, some of these um, different tendencies, it makes it difficult like that first year because it's you're just trying to keep your head above water. But going into your, your second and your third year, you really just assimilate the new stuff to what you already have known and have done in the past. And it just makes it just very, very easy. It's, you know, I, we always use the term, you know, the first time you do quarterback center exchange uh, and it's just like riding a bike. And that's just, that's the, the analogy we always constantly, constantly use. It's like, oh, okay, you get back in, you know, we're on our you know, third day and it's just like riding a bike. Okay. So take us through the time from when you break huddle to the time you line up, whether you're playing center or guard. So in other words, you guys break the huddle, you're walking up to the line. What's going on inside your head? What are you looking for? You know, how does that whole five second moment in time come across? Uh, so the first thing is you got to understand personnel. Um, personnel is unlocked tendencies in the NFL. Understanding who's in, you know, base, nickel, odd, um, you know, dime personnel, all these different different personnel groupings that respond to your offensive personnel groupings unlock those tendencies. And then with the film study in the week in the week prior to the game, you're able to kind of pick up those those things and give yourself little cues and little hints that remind you of, hey, this might be coming. Um, so the personnel. Uh, you obviously get your get your split, get your alignment, um, depending on what the play is, whatnot, and then kind of see what the alignment of the defense is. See where the linebackers are. See where the defensive. See first where the defensive linemen are lining up. Do you have a three technique? Do you have a two? Do you have a shade? Do you have a zero, uh, a four eye even? And then okay, after that, where's the linebackers? And then if you're playing if you're playing center, sometimes you're looking at rotation. Sometimes you're looking at safeties. If we're in a certain formation, is it a man zone tell? And then depending on those tendencies. How does that relate to what your job is and what you're doing? So it's just a, it's an interesting process. Um, but it's like all that stuff has to happen in five seconds. 
Yeah, I know. That's the crazy part. That's why I asked you because the common person doesn't realize how intense of a moment that is when you guys are walking to the line. And you know what which gets, gets forgotten in all that is what about the snap count? Like you're thinking about all these complex things. It's, it almost seems like it would be fairly easy to forget the snap count. Yeah, I could tell you that we did that today at practice, actually. Um, you're starting to you, you overanalyze these things, and all of a sudden you're just like, hey, what was the snap count? And, yep, all right, I'm just going to take a guess and say it was on one. Um, <laughs> uh, but, no, and that, you know, with, with Joe Burrow back at quarterback right now, things are really, really good. You can have that conversation, and you could have that conversation with Andy. It's just like, hey, hold on a second. What's the, what's the count? And they're able to communicate that with you without tipping it off to the defense. So it's, uh, it is a lot to comprehend and a lot to – um, digest within five seconds. All right, let's go through a typical day, game day for Billy Price. So okay. you know, what time do you get up? What do you eat? What are your pregame rituals? What do you do postgame? Do you watch NFL games late at night when you get home? Like what's, what is a game day for you? Um, so for me, um, so Sam Hubbard and I are actually uh, travel roommates, which is kind of cool, you know, two Ohio State guys. Um, so for me, um, if we're on a home game, um, I usually get up about 6, 6.30, um, I drive home to the wife, you know, fall asleep for another hour and a half, two hours, wake up, make breakfast. And then you got to be at the, you got to be at the stadium. I think it's by 10 a.m. So um, get to the stadium. And then for me, it's just continue to start to warm the body up, open, you know, your joints, ligaments, stretch out a little bit. And then just really kind of focus on what your priorities are in that game, what your responsibilities, you know, one last time over the tendencies. So it's not like a, hey, let's go digest a lot of material because if you have to do that on game day, you're already behind. You know, that's not a good, that's not a really good feeling to have. And I've done it before where you walk in and you're 10 minutes before and you're, you're kind of like, oh, shoot, I don't know what, you know, what's going to happen on this play or what should I expect on this? It's, it's not a very confident feeling. You know, go through the game, take care of business, do what you got to do, and then um, leave the stadium usually. And then, uh, you know, most, most days down here in Cincinnati, it's either cold or it's bad weather. So my wife is usually at home and Sundays are her meal days. So she's always cooking up something. Uh, see when you get home from the game it's something good to look forward to I imagine then yep and then usually again one o'clock game and then um, usually somebody's playing prime time and it's just it's it's on the tv's on and depending on who it is um, it might be background noise it might be you know actually watching it um, you know I've got some friends on some other teams and guys I've trained with now this past offseason on other teams so it'll be a little bit more intriguing to see who's playing who and how my guy's playing so it'll be it'll be fun this year to watch other games around the league yeah, I love – I mean, I watch the Bengal games exclusively, but I do check out the other games, obviously. It's just a great sport. Um, since, since you came into the NFL, who's been your biggest influence, whether it's a player, a coach? Who would you give credit to at this point? Um, I, to my rookie year, I've got to give a lot of credit to Frank Pollock. Um, Frank Pollock was our offensive line coach that uh, drafted me, and he was with uh, Travis Frederick, the center for the Dallas Cowboys back in the day. And, you know, he really just put the he, – he, tried to continue to elevate my game and, and set the standard at a very high level, similar to what Travis's was down in Dallas, you know, going into my other years, it's, you know, you really start watching guys around the league and try to try to um, emulate and do some of the same things that they do in their game. Uh, but the biggest thing is you got to make sure that that person you're watching really is the same type of body type and moves the same way. Otherwise that, that's like me watching Zach Martin. I can't do what Zach Martin does. So it's, it's a little bit, a little bit more difficult, but, just continue to work your game, work your craft, and, you know, find somebody who can, who can set a better standard than what you have right now. That makes sense. Yeah, you want to compare apples to apples. I didn't really think about the part of having different body types. You got to 
you know, that does factor in. So excellent mm -hmm. point. All right, so um, we're going to wrap it up, and I want to ask a couple, couple quick rapid-fire questions. So what's been your favorite NFL moment so far? Uh, first time I got my name called. Uh, introduction, first game. One of those moments, it's just it's, it's chilling. I know I remember running out there. I just remember the day. It was against the Ravens in prime time. A.J. Green had like two or three touchdowns. We won big, um, but I actually got hurt. Um, but it's still that, that game running out there, you know, your, your face all over the billboard, fans cheering, et cetera. It's just, it's chilling. It's, it was a, uh, a moment that I'll never forget. Excellent. I'm glad that you got a chance to live that. What are your, what were your favorite teams growing up? So for me, I'm a Bengal fan. I like the Yankees in baseball. I like the Cavaliers and I like the Sabres there's, in, in hockey. So there's probably not a lot of people that have those same four teams. I like to ask that to people. Who were your four growing up? Man, I, I heard you say, you know, as soon as you said Yankees, your, your, uh, your accent changed a little bit. Baseball. I am a Jersey guy. Yeah, oh, that makes sense then. Um, so, I mean, I've said it before, and I know Bengal fans will crucify me for it, but I um, grew up a Pittsburgh fan. Uh, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. It's an hour away from Pittsburgh. Um, my hometown to Cincinnati is four and a half hours. So I regionally grew up a Pittsburgh fan. Dan was always on Sunday. My stepfather was from Pittsburgh. Baseball, Yankees fan as well. I was a big Gary Sheffield fan. Before I started playing football, I told myself I was going to be in the MLB. So I was always watching Derek Jeter, watching Gary Sheffield, um, and that that swing, his his swing, and just just wiggling that bat was something that was just like, all right, maybe you know one day that'll be me. And then you always see him go yank one over left field. It was pretty cool. Hockey, I didn't get into hockey until probably college, and that was the Blue Jackets, just because they're down the street from us. And then basketball, I was a Cavs fan, but I'm really a LeBron fan. Um, just I mean, he's one of the one of the greatest athletes of our time. He's an elite, elite competitor um, his mindset the way he does things uh, it's just that's people like that are who you try to emulate at the professional level just because again their bodies are always taken care of they're doing the right things in the media the communities and and especially LeBron being from Northeast Ohio you know he's he's been with the same you know he's his wife his kids all upstanding people and it's just great to see you know local people have great things come to them and, and LeBron has done everything he's worked for yeah, and even to the non-athlete, LeBron is someone to look up to without a doubt. And you know, it's ironic. I mean, well, now you're a Bengal fan. You know, you're not a Pittsburgh fan anymore. You can't be. So Bengals, Yankees, and Cavs, we're pretty close to a four for four with me there. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Um, but I will say, too, it was pretty cool playing at Heinz Field my rookie year. That was, that was one of those moments. I've never been to an NFL game, never, until obviously until I started playing. But then you start seeing – you know, Renegade starts going, and, and my rookie year, we were playing, uh, we were playing them like it was like a four o'clock game or something like that. It was like late at night, and again, the stadium lights all flicker and everything. And I was like, I always used to see this on TV, but it, to be a part of it, it's just it's it's surreal. So, not that it's a fandom, but it is a pretty cool moment. Oh yeah, that would be like me playing outfield in Yankee Stadium. You know, it'd be a great yeah. moment just to be there. Yeah. All right, last question: What's your favorite thing to do outside of football? Not talk about football. Oh, so I'm actually um, infringing on that. <laughs> uh, no, um, actually, so for me, um, I like cars. Um, I'm a big car guy. And then I've got my, my two dogs um, and my wife, obviously. So it's whatever, like, for me, once, you know, I come home, especially during the week during practice, it's always, you know, all right, let's go take the dogs for a walk. Just to kind of clear the mind, just relax the body, even though you're walking and you might be going up a hill or whatnot. But it's just, it's you separating from your job. And I think that's huge for me. And I've learned this in the off season is mentally put yourself in a better place, whatever that thing may be, 
Um, you know, I always joke, I, my, my wife's car is in better shape than mine because again, I, I enjoy cars, detailing, stuff like that. The dogs are well exercised. They take, we you know, take them on a walk about a mile or so every day. Every, we try to every day, I should say that. And then again, I, I, and I purchased a drone too. So like just flying and seeing what's going on, you know, taking pictures and some things. It's been, it's been fun to figure out what those niches are and what those things to take your mind away from the game and take your mind away from work mentally refreshing it seems like you have a good approach to everything i even saw that you and your wife use uh, natural cleaning products now instead of stuff with chemicals i made the switch in my household too so you're 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 a higher thinker and i appreciate it yeah no it's been uh it's been a long time coming i can tell you that <laughs> um i was like if you, you saw who i was three years ago in my rookie year i mean it's just it's night and day over time and you know you really figure out like what matters and you know hey can i be a better person here or like you said you know natural um organic cleaning chemicals and whatnot and my wife's always like oh it's better for the dogs that they lick it and i'm like all right well you're tugging on my heartstrings so i guess we gotta do it well great stuff i really appreciate you coming down i wish you a great season great health just remember every snap i'm gonna be right there with you guys man i cannot wait Oh, trust me. I can tell you, uh, give you a little inside hit. It's going to be, uh, it's exciting. Everybody's yeah. healthy. Everybody's healthy. Love it, man. Thanks again, Billy. Absolutely, Frank. McLeavy Minute. All right. We're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. Uh, some uh, bad news coming out of college football today. The, uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled their football season. So that's not looking good for college football this year due to the fact that those two power conferences canceled. Look for everybody else to follow suit. You know, number one, they're student athletes. They don't want to see anybody put in harm just to play football. They're amateurs. They're not like professionals. So you had to feel that it was tough for college to put on a football season this year so it's up to the professional level to to come through now you know you even feel bad not even the guys that are going to make the nfl but the guys that you know this might have been like their last year of football and a chance to cap off years and years of hard work so it's it, it's real tragedy on a lot of fronts it is it is frank eaters guys that went through a medical that were hoping to come through a bounce back season you know, on them, it's another year older, so um, it's going to be tough. Yeah, that's killer. All right, you know, moving on to the pro game, what are your thoughts on what would be a successful season for the Bengals in 2020? I will first define a successful season to me is 500. Listen, any better is, you know, is great, but I'm looking at, at a 500 season. And namely three Bengals on the offensive side have to come through, not including Joe Burrow, because, you know, you got to look at any successful playoff team. The quarterback has to come through. We're not even going to put Joe Burrow in there. That's that has to happen. The three guys I'm looking at and, you know, you've touched on them already in the past podcast, Frank. Jonah Williams, of course, to solidify that left tackle spot. John Ross and Drew Sample, tight end. If those three could come 
through and produce this season, listen, this offense could definitely be a playoff caliber offense. Priority, I'd say, Jonah Williams, number one, has to come through. Drew Sample, number two, has to come through. Uh, John Ross, number three, has to come through. So on the offensive side, those three are key for a successful season. Defense, they shored up the defensive line through uh, free agency. The defensive backfield, they shored up through free agency. The linebackers, those guys they drafted have to step up automatically this year. And if they do it, I'm looking at this team as a whole that could really push for a playoff spot. But I'm going to pump the brakes and just say, you know, 500 to me is a successful season. Those three on offense and the linebackers are key. Tom, I agree with you 100% on that. I've been talking about the linebackers for the last couple months, and you you are right. The rookies are going to have to perform. Yes, Frank. Duke Tobin has to come through at this draft class other than Joe Burrow, who everybody would have taken number one. These guys got to hit. Looking at the three I just spoke on offense, those three are on Duke Tobin's watch. So, you know, he has to come through with those picks at linebacker. Wow, Tom. Excellent takes as always. Thanks for coming by. I'll catch you next episode. Sounds great, Frankie. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to bring back our regular segments. Tom McLevy's going to stop by. We're going to have Seb Talk Sports in. And Sands is going to come by for some more football analysis. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights. I'd also like to give thanks to Bengals, the Fan Zone 23 on Instagram. He's been doing a lot of the cover art for my podcast. I really appreciate that, man. Also, again, I'd like to thank the ZD Network. They brought in Billy Price for me, and I think this is just the beginning of a lot of big things. The ZD Network continues to grow. We're going to have a basketball program on, a Major League Baseball program on, in addition to the Browns Huddle podcast, the Drive the Lane podcast, and the unofficial Bengals podcast. So really good things happening. Go check out Zedia on Twitter and Instagram, at Zedia Network. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.